Psalm 119, 41 to 48, as we continue in uh, this psalm. Hear now the word of the Lord. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Father, we ask now that you would, by your Spirit, help us to gain an understanding of your Word as it's explained in this psalm, in Christ's name, amen. Well, last week when we turned to the previous verses of this psalm, we looked at that doctrine that we called the perseverance of the saints or perseverance. And when you study the perseverance of the saints or that understanding of just the doctrine of uh, persevering as we will remain in the faith, we must be sure, as the saying goes, to not get the cart before the horse. Perseverance is the fruit of our justification. It's not the means. It's not how we're saved. It's the fruit of what comes out of that salvation, You do not persevere in order to earn God's salvation. You persevere because Christ has earned your salvation, has applied it to you. You've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and you cannot merit your salvation. The reason why we persevere, the reason why we work The reason why we obey the commands is because God first regenerated our hearts. He, he, He pardoned us, and now he preserves us in this faith. He's the one who keeps us persevering. And see, verse 41 and the first word of verse 42 of our present stanza Uh, makes this uh, theological order of justification followed by perseverance or progressing in the faith, it it makes it clear. Look at at the verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. And then in verse 42, what does he say? Then. First, salvation. First, justification. Let your salvation come to me according to your promise. Then, then we answer, verse 42. Then we keep, verse 44. Then we walk, verse 45. Then we speak, verse 46. Then we delight in and love and praise God's word, verse 47 and verse 48. That is the order God's love comes first, invades your life, renews your heart, you believe, you are justified, and then you walk in newness of life. You persevere. And so we need to keep that clarification in mind. But what I would like to do now, with that in the back of our minds, is take a look here of our passage and its teaching 
And you'll notice that the, the, the focus is on the spoken witness to the Word of God. We turn to our passage, there's actually three people speaking. There's, in verse 41, God is speaking. In verse 42, it's the enemies of the psalmist who speak. And then in verses 42 and 43 and 46, it is the psalmist who speaks. And so that's the emphasis. We're going to look at all three of these voices. First, let's look at God who speaks. Look at verse 41. Let your, steadfast, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. And you say, well, I, I don't hear a thus saith the Lord there. Where does God speak? God's the one who speaks. He speaks in his word, and he makes a promise. And he's still speaking that word to us today in the scriptures. He speaks to us through his word. He, he speaks a word of promise. And what's a promise of? We see it here. It's a promise of love and a promise of salvation. And what's amazing about this is that up until now, he hasn't brought up God's love, but really it comes as no surprise that he would mention it here in the context of God's salvation. God's love never shines brighter than when we look at it through the lens of his salvation for us in Christ. That's what, that's what the Apostle Paul was getting at. The Apostle Paul says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world, what happened? He sent his only begotten son. God's love, the reality of that love is made manifest through his salvation for sinners. And so, that is the kind of love the psalmist here prays will come to him. And see, the promise of that love coming from God, which is not fully manifest until the New Testament, of course. Obviously, the psalmist didn't have the full comprehension of this love. But the promise of that love coming from God is where the psalmist places his trust in verse 42 and places his hope in verse 43. He may not have fully understood the marvelous love of God, having not seen the day of Christ, yet he knew something of it. He, 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 he knew God was a God of love. We take that for granted because that's the God we want to have, but, you know, when you look at the Greek gods or the, the pagan gods of the Old Testament, there was no guarantee they loved and, 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 and so here he has something, uh, he knows something of this love of God. And he saw the love of God manifest, yet not in Christ, but through redemptive history. God revealed that love in the Old Testament through the prophets, and he revealed that love and, and stated that love in the Word of God. And it was through the study of redemptive history, it was through the study of the Word of God that, that the psalmist came to understand that God loved him. And see, such hope and such faith in the promises of God's covenantal love allows the psalmist, because of that foundation, allows him to, to speak to his enemies, as we'll see. But that leads us to the second point. The second speech here, his enemies are speaking to him. Verse 42, then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me. 
have an answer is literally saying, then I'll be able to say something to them, uh, for I trust in your word. Now, we've learned throughout this study that this, this psalm is a psalm, like the ABC of God's Word. It's a better understanding of what God's Word teaches, but it's not just that. It's, it's understanding God's Word in the midst of, of the trials that the psalmist is facing. He's being oppressed by his enemies. We were told that his enemies were lying about him. They were slandering his name. They even threatened his life. And now we read that they were taunting him. That word for taunt has the idea of reproach. We read about the reproach earlier in the psalm. And so the psalmist is saying, look, I'm being attacked for my commitment to God and his word. And what's amazing is, yes, it's because of my commitment to God, it's because of my commitment to the Word that I'm being taunted, that I'm being attacked, and yet at the same time, it's that Word that empowers me to go on. It empowers me to be able to face the taunts. See, beloved, relying on God's Word is what enables us to persevere and give an answer to those who taunt us with their words. And how do we do this? We do this by speaking God's Word. And so, far from the taunts, you would think, you know, all the skeptics that complain about Christians, and and in this case, whatever the complaints were for the psalmist, all the enemies... Um, you, it, it can have a tendency to make us want it to keep quiet. But the psalmist is saying, no, I'm never going to waver from God's Word, God's Word of promise, His love and His salvation. It, it causes us, as we get to know it, to dig our heels in. Despite their taunts, despite their threats, despite their scorn, the psalmist here makes a sevenfold affirmation concerning his commitment to the Word of God. And that's why it's important to understand it's in the context of the taunting and the slander and so forth. This is what he says. In the midst of what I'm going through, because I believe the Word, I affirm this. First, I will obey God's Word. Look at verse 44. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. Notice those words, continually, forever and ever. It'll go on and on and on and on. There will never be a time when the godly stop obeying God. That's his point. Despite the opposition, I will obey. That's his first affirmation. Second, he will find his freedom in God's word. Verse 45, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. A wide place can also be translated liberty. God's deliverance of him in saving him brings him freedom, freedom from being concerned about his enemies, but more importantly, probably freedom from the shackles of sin. What does sin do? It puts us in bondage. And, And seeking God's precepts, he finds freedom. Another affirmation, he will speak openly about God's word. Look at verse 46. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. He will delight in God's word. Verse 47, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Another affirmation, he will praise and practice God's word. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments. That idea of lifting up your hands, yes, has to do with worship. 
but it also has to do with being diligent and vigorous in your duty. And so he'll, he'll praise and practice God's word. Sixth, he'll meditate on God's word. For, verse 48, I will meditate on your statutes. We've seen this one over and over and over again in Psalm 119. And finally, he will love God's word, both verse 47 and 48. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. And so because of God's promise of salvation, because of the love of God being, being given to him, he says, look, I will obey, I find freedom, I speak, I delight, I praise and practice, I meditate upon, and I love God's word. Despite the taunts, despite the skeptics, all the scoffers, The psalmist says clearly, he will stand upon the rock of God's word and he will not be shaken. Let the skeptics be skeptical. Let the scoffers scoff. The psalmist says, we'll walk freely if we trust in God and his word. We'll speak boldly. We'll serve diligently. We'll live joyfully. We'll study thoughtfully and love the word deeply. That's the the effect that the promise of God's steadfast love and salvation has on the believer. Now, we, we have already preached on meditation and delight. We've talked about obedience to God's word and the practice of God's word, putting it into practice. Actually, we've covered all these affirmations of the word that we find here, obeying, freedom, speak, delight, praise, practice, meditation, and love. We, we've, we've, we've covered them. However, this morning, I want to focus on one of them, and that is speaking God's Word. That's the third speech or voice heard in our passage. First, God speaking His Word of promise. Second, the enemies were speaking, and now the psalmist speaks up. And I believe that the psalmist speaking up is the emphasis of this stanza of Psalm 119. Notice that in verse 42, I have an answer for him who taunts me. He'll speak up. Verse 43, take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. I want to to speak it. Verse 46, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. The, The emphasis here is on the psalmist speaking up. Or maybe you could say the emphasis is on the psalmist speaking up and speaking out in the face of opposition. I mean, the whole stanza is a prayer, so he speaks up to God. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. That's the foundation of it. He speaks up to God, and then he speaks out to his enemies. Verse 46 says he even does it to kings. And so the emphasis of the psalmist is speaking up to God, but ultimately speaking out to his enemies, particularly those who opposed him and mocked him. Those who oppose and mock any righteous person like himself. He's saying, look, if you live righteous in Christ, if you know Jesus Christ, obviously looking ahead, you know Christ, the word must be proclaimed despite the scoffers. We must speak it to the unbeliever. We must speak it to our enemies. We must speak it to those in power. We must be able to stand firm in our convictions and give an answer for our faith in God and His Word, even in the face of power and might. 
That's what we find in the Bible. That's what we find in the Old Testament. Maybe you know the story in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, They wouldn't worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar set up about himself, saying, basically, Nebuchadnezzar saying, look, I'm a god, bow down to me, along with all their other gods. And um, he finds out that these three Jewish boys refused. Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? And so now Nebuchadnezzar says, Look, I'm going to give you a shot here and make amends. If you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, I'm gonna, uh, the pipe, the lyre, the, the harp, and so on and so forth, and every kind of music, when you hear the music, I want you to fall down and worship the image that I've made of myself. Well, and good. If you do that, I'll let you go. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and said, yeah, I don't want to die. I'm gonna, I don't want to burn. I'm gonna, I'll do what you say. No. O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They had a tyrant challenging them, saying, do what I say, or I will throw you into a fiery furnace. And these three young men gave an answer to that tyrant and said, I will never abandon God and His Word. Do to me as you wish. They spoke of God's testimonies before a king, and they were not put to shame. That's one story. We have another story, Acts chapter 4. We move into the New Testament. Peter and John, they healed a crippled man, and they were preaching, and they were drawing all this attention, and they got the attention of the officials, and the officials were like, I don't know. They're getting bold. And, and, and at the same time, the officials were like, these are uneducated men. None of this makes sense. Um, they were astonished. And they also knew that they followed Jesus. And, and now there was all this commotion. So the officials said something had to be done. And so they, they approached them and say uh, to them that we need you to stop speaking and, and, and teaching at all in the name of Jesus. It's not allowed. I need you to stop. And Peter and John said, well, the law said it. No. John answered, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That's what the psalmist is getting at. He has experienced God's love and so salvation, and so he, he just feels the need to speak about it. And that's what he's saying I need you to do. We must never fail to speak up. We must never fail to tell the wonderful things God has done for us and in us for his glory. We may never stand before a king or a tyrant, 
Although in our day, I'm not surprised if we'll have to do it. I know it, during COVID, there were Pastor MacArthur, others had to stand up in their perspective, from their perspective, where they were at in California and so on and so forth, and they had to stand up and speak the truth. We'll probably never get threatened and thrown in the fire, though. I mean, maybe, but I don't think so. But see, here's the deal. We talk boldly about those moments. Yeah, you know, go ahead, tell me I can't preach the word. You'll throw me into a fire. I'll take a stand. Probably because we don't think it'll happen. But then we just know if we go out and tell a friend about Jesus, they're going to be upset with us, and we start to justify those every day-to-day encounters. That's where the rubber meets the road and God requires of us and asks us, as the Apostle Peter wrote, to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. To be able to speak up, to speak out, to speak the truth in love, to to give an answer with gentleness, Peter says, but to do it nonetheless. Speak the truth. Uh, in In my studies... I came across uh, four ways to be able to give an answer from this psalm. Obviously, first, we must pray. The whole psalm is a prayer, basically. He prayed, remember, he prayed for the Lord to teach him. He prayed for the Lord to give him understanding, to lead him in path of his commands, to incline his heart toward the word, to confirm his promises. And we, we just saw what he prayed for here now. And so if we're going to be a good witness to be able to give an answer, we need to pray. We need to ask God to give us understanding in all those things. That's one. Second, we must ponder. This is implied. The psalmist knew God loved him. Did you, did you ever think, when the psalmist wrote this psalm and he says, give me, pour out your steadfast love upon me, did he ever, was he questioning if God loved him? No, he knew. And because he knew... He knew he was safe because he knew that God cared. He prays for that steadfast love to come to him. As he pondered the reality of this love, the the vastness of this love, the, the safety that he had in God, the salvation he had in God, that glorious truth that God loved him, that God saved him, that God made a covenantal promise to him, what happens is he was strengthened because of that to speak up and to speak out. The more you know about God, the more I grow in in my relationship with God, the more I I, I know how much He loves me, the more you meditate and I meditate upon the Word as we consider what Christ has done for us, as we consider and ponder His amazing grace, when you realize how lovely Jesus really is, how, how marvelous Christ is, the more courage you get to speak out. Paul said it this way, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. He's in all of God. He's in all of the salvation he has. He, he's in all of Christ, giving up everything, counting it lost. I want to follow Jesus. And because of that, because of the knowledge I have, the truth of that, I will speak out. And so as we come to know God experientially through his word, we're given a holy boldness 
to speak in the face of opposition. And that leads to the third ingredient, prepare. You need to prepare. You need to spend time in the Word. You need to learn the doctrines. You, the psalmist obviously knew the Word of God. He delighted in it. He studied it. He loved it. He, he knew that in it he found life. He prayed that God would give him more understanding, but he also knew that understanding wouldn't simply just happen. He had to take time. He had to be diligent in the study. He had to meditate. We've talked about meditation over and over. And you must do the same. You need to know the gospel. Inside and out, you need to be able to find where the Scripture teaches that we're dead in our sins, and, 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 and praise God, He sent Jesus to pay for those sins. Not just the bad news, but the good news. We need to be able to support the claim that we believe Jesus is the only way. If you want to be scoffed at in our society, you can almost get away with saying Jesus is God, but say He's the only way to God. And you will be scoffed at. You will be taunted. You need to pick up a book of common objections, maybe learn the arguments in defense of the the Scripture's inerrancy, the deity of Christ, the fact that there is an eternal hell, all those things that people don't like to hear. We need to be able to give a defense. Uh, They need to be understood so that you can give an answer. And so you need to prepare. Fourth, then, you need to proclaim. I will also speak of your testimonies, he says. He didn't just learn them. He didn't just meditate on them. He didn't just pray saying, well, if if God wants them to believe, he can convert them. It's true. Uh, He presented his findings to those who taunted him. He, he, He spoke of God's word to kings, we're told here. You cannot let the fear of those who would mock you keep you from telling them about Jesus. Nathan mentioned it earlier in our confession. You know, we fear God or fear man. Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell, Matthew 10, 28. If we fear God, if we're in all of God, if we recognize who God is, we'll always be able to speak up. In fact, to put it positively, if we love him, we will never want to not share the gospel. James Boyce said it this way, it's a measure of your love for God whether you tell others about him. Think about that. It's a measure of your love for God whether you will tell others about him. And so you need to present the truth. So pray, ponder, prepare, and proclaim. And then probably pray some more that God would use your word. Well, let me close. Let me return to verses 45 to 48. What is remarkable about this section are the words used to describe the psalmist's attitude towards the Word of God. In verse 45, he speaks of the freedom of liberty that is found in the Word. In verse 47, he spoke of the delight or joy that's found in the Word. And in verse 48, he speaks of the worship and praise that results from the Word. And in verses 47 and 48, he speaks twice of the love for the Word. Words like freedom and delight and joy and love. Uh, They're not not words you find in the context of this harsh legalism, obey the Word. Rather, these are words, says one writer, which the New Testament uses again and again again 
to describe the Christian's relationship and response to the word who became flesh, even Jesus Christ. And so to delight in and love God's word, it's to delight in and love Christ, who is the word. Or maybe it's better to say that to delight in and love Christ results in lighting in delighting and loving his word. In either case, all this talk about the word, we don't worship a book. We, we worship the Savior who, whose person and work are found in this book. Ultimately, we're, we are free in Christ. That's where our freedom comes. We delight in Christ. We speak of Christ. We walk with Christ. We obey Christ. We love Christ. See, Christ is everything. We love the Word because it points us to Christ. That's why we love the Word. He is our all in all. And and, and we turn to the Word because it's in the Word that we're presented the person and the work of Christ. It, It tells us of His promise. It tells us of His love. It tells us of His salvation. It tells us how He suffered and died because He loved us. It tells us how He took sin upon Himself in order that He may make us the righteousness of God reconciling us to God. It tells us how Jesus made us children of God. When we were by nature children of the devil, it tells us that he presently, do you know this? He presently intercedes for you, believer. It tells us that the Holy Spirit's at work in our hearts presently. It tells us that a day is coming. A day is coming when Christ, the bridegroom, will return and take his bride, the church, home to be with him forever. These are the truths that we find in the Word of God. Christ is there from Genesis to Revelation. So we delight in it and we love it. But if you fail to find Christ in the Word, if you fail to understand that Christ is to be found from Genesis to Revelation, then you don't understand the Bible. See, to miss Christ in Scripture is to miss the point. See, it's not the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible. It's the Christian Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Oh, that sounds arrogant. Listen to what Jesus says. You search the Scriptures to the Pharisees, the Old Testament. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness to me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You've heard the word of God this morning from the psalmist. You've heard the word of God as I've quoted several different verses. So let me appeal to those of you who have not yet come to Christ for life, whoever you may be. You you don't have a vital relationship with the word who became flesh, even Jesus. You don't know Christ in that way. You may be skeptical. You may not be out there taunting, but you're skeptical. And I want to say to you, in light of this word, let me ask this. Why do you not come? Why? What more needs to be said to convince you that there is no hope apart from Christ? Where else are you going to turn to find eternal life? Where else? You think it's just going to be handed to you? 
that, that, that you've earned it? Have you made a mistake once in your life? You haven't earned it then. God expects perfection, and so that's why Christ is the answer. And that sermon that Peter and John preached in Acts 4, remember it got the attention of all the officials. They didn't like what they had to say. They go on to say this, there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Well, they didn't like it, the officials. The problem was it was the truth. No one else but Christ. And that's what the word points us to, Christ. Believe in Christ. Pray that the Lord will have mercy upon your soul. That God's salvation will come to you according to his promise, as the psalmist said. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you may be merciful to those that may be here, those listening maybe via the internet, those that our, our, our believers uh, proclaim the word to, that you may be merciful to them and grant them repentance, that they would see the beauty, that the scales from their eyes would be removed, even as you had to remove those scales from us, and that we, they, they would see the beauty of Christ. And that we too, Lord, even though we have maybe walked with you for years and, and, and we, if we're honest, the, the things of this world has distracted us and, and your word has become dull. And our love for you has not grown. And so we pray, Father, you would pour out your spirit upon us that we would see Christ in all the scriptures and that we would delight in Christ's name. Amen.